This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. Words of Integration and Guidance by Jonathan Schell. As the new century begins, no question is more important than whether the world has now embarked on a similar cycle of violence, condemning the 21st century to repeat or even outdo the bloodshed of the 20th. The elements of the danger are obvious. They are not as before, the mass conventional armies and systematized hatreds of rival great powers. They are the persistence and steady spread of nuclear weapons and other weapons of mass destruction. The unappeased demons of national, ethnic, religious, and class fury. And, I believe, the danger that the world's greatest power, the United States, responding disproportionately and unwisely to these realities, will pursue the Augustan path of force and empire. The use of just a few dozens of the world's 30,000 or so nuclear weapons, let us recall, could kill more people in a single unthinkable afternoon than the two world wars put together. These dark prospects require that we step back from the emergencies of the moment and ask whether there is another path to follow. The reading from scripture is from the 118th Psalm, verses 1 and 2, and 26 to 29. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And we bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to John 12, 12 to 16. The next day the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written of him and had been done to him. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Amen. 
We all love a good underdog story. We love to root on the little guy in the face of adversity and seemingly insurmountable odds. And people have been rooting on underdogs, of course, for centuries. That's why we love Daniel LaRusso and Rocky Balboa and Luke Skywalker. That's why we root on the 16th seed at tournament time. And even the Bible has a good underdog story or two. We literally use the phrase David versus Goliath to describe underdog situations, don't we? And it comes from a story in the Bible. In case you were wondering where that, story, where that phrase came from. Now you know. It's the story of a guy named David against a guy named Goliath. And David, as the story goes, is a young lad armed with only a slingshot. And he takes on the Philistine hero, Goliath, who is a giant. Apparently they had giants in old times. You know, as a kid, you hear Bible stories like, oh, of course there were giants, you know. But if you think about it, that's interesting. The story says he was nearly 10 feet tall. Nearly 10 feet tall. So today he'd be recruited heavily by Kentucky and North Carolina. (laughs) Probably a one and done is my guess. Well, David has never fought in a battle before. And he has some brothers who are in the army, some older brothers who are in the Israelite army. And he shows up to say, who's this guy who's talking bad to Israel? I'm going to fight him. They're like, okay, well, first put on some armor. So he puts on this armor, this battle gear, but it's way too heavy for him and clunky and awkward. And he can't really move around. So he's like, forget all this stuff. I'm I'm just going to go with what I know. And so he goes with only a sling and a few stones. And Goliath taunts him. He says, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? So not only is it a giant, it's a trash-talking giant. (laughs) But the suspense doesn't last long, right? David gets that sling in motion and fires off his stone, and it flies true, and it hits the giant right in the head and knocks him over, killing him. And because this is a story for children, the Bible goes on to say how David stands over the dead giant, takes his sword, and cuts off his head. (laughs) And then he takes that head all the way to Jerusalem to celebrate. A classic underdog story, perhaps the definitive one. And why do we love that story and stories like it so much? I think it's because the normalcy of the world is that might makes right. That the strong thrive and the violent have their way. And once in a while, can't the little guy win? And so what if he has a little revenge and fights back? And it's kind of cool if he cuts off his head because he's our guy. He's a good guy. Well, what in the world does any of this have to do with Palm Sunday? Well, when Jesus enters Jerusalem, let's remember that it's the capital city of an underdog nation. One that's been oppressed by political powers for centuries. These people are tired of being pushed around. They're starving for a hero to arrive, so it's only natural that they applaud when Jesus comes on the scene. Because not only do they love an underdog story, but they are the underdogs. They've been trampled on, subjugated, enslaved, and beaten down for too long. And the stories say that one day a hero 
will come. A Messiah. A long-awaited Messiah arrives. And when he comes, he'll enter into Jerusalem and catch their enemies by surprise. Now, in most underdog stories that we love, the underdog beats the stronger opponent in, that same, in the same game, right? Plays the same game and beats them at their own game. That's why we love it so much. Daniel LaRusso beats Johnny Lawrence in karate by sweeping the leg, right? He outdoes him at his own thing. David beats Goliath in what was a fight to the death by killing his opponent. Only one person was going to be left standing. And so the crowd here is waiting for Jesus to take Rome by storm and violently overthrow the oppressor. But here's the difference in our story today. Jesus refuses to play the game. And it's ironic that we call this entry into Jerusalem the triumphal entry. It might be better termed the anti-triumphal entry. The historian John Dominic Crossan says, like any city of the ancient world, Jerusalem knew that a conqueror entered it at best through open gates and at worst through shattered walls. In either case, he came on a battle chariot or a war horse. Alexander the Great, some centuries before, had entered cities like Tyre and Gaza after devastating sieges, and eventually he entered Jerusalem itself after conquering it, riding a war horse in full regalia. They probably even sang songs like Hail to the Victors Valiant and Hail to the Conquering Heroes. Or maybe that was just me last night. But Jesus knew this narrative, right? He knows this narrative of conquering heroes entering into cities. Either after having devastated them or into a city of their own, and because I just came from devastating somewhere else. So he knows this narrative, and he stages a scene that turns it on its head. And he does so evoking an ancient oracle that went back actually to around the time of Alexander the Great, the 4th century, uh, from the prophet Zechariah who said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall command not war to the nations but peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So Jesus hears this ancient call, the prophet Zechariah, and begins to enact it himself. And don't think he didn't set this all up. In the other Gospels, we're given the details that he explicitly gives the disciples instructions on exactly where to find this donkey and kind of arranges the scene a certain way. And he knows... Of course, the tradition of a victorious conqueror entering into a city. He also knows it's Passover time. And so the city is swelling with pilgrims who are coming to celebrate this ancient festival which celebrates God rescuing people from oppression. To celebrate a liberation story of God redeeming the people from slavery in Egypt. What better time to hope that God might do the same thing again? And so the crowd cheers on this underdog, hoping for an upset. 
Well, we're also given the detail that they're waving branches. And interesting, interestingly, only the Gospel of John notes that these are palm branches. Well, what might that signify? Well, nearly 200 years before this event that Jesus is staging, Judas Maccabeus had staged a violent overthrow of the Seleucid armies, which were at that time before the Romans oppressing Israel. And they had overthrown them. And he had restored the temple, which is what we, uh, which is what is commemorated in the Feast of Hanukkah. And palm branches became a symbol of that victory, of that violent overthrow. And palm branches also were used on coins during the Second Revolt period. And so palm branches were synonymous with breaking off the yoke of our oppressors, often in violent form. Wes Howard Brooks says that to welcome Jesus with palm branches was to proclaim him a new Judas Maccabeus, a new national liberator. So we have symbolics in this event. The entering into Jerusalem of riding an, while riding an animal. We have palm branches. We have shouts of Hosanna, which just means save us. We have symbolics, and we also have counter-symbolics. Because Jesus enters not on a war horse or a chariot. He does not come armed with weapons, but he comes in on a donkey, a symbol of peace. It is carefully choreographed political street theater. Only nobody's quite sure what the punchline is. Because while he is lampooning imperial power and the way of violence, the crowd imagines that he is preparing his own way of conquering, that of an underdog liberator. They're hoping that Jesus is their David to Rome's Goliath. And they're ready for blood. And who can blame them? Who can blame them? They're ready for a change. And what other way is there to change things than but to play by the rules? To fight strength with strength, violence with violence, power with power. And we too live in a world where seemingly might makes right. Where those with power and wealth make the rules. Where you can have zero political experience or acumen, or some of us might say less than zero, but billions of dollars, and hey, you can be in charge. Because the rules then seem to be little different than the rules today, we too are tempted to play the game. We imagine that no change will happen unless good people use enough force, gain enough power, accumulate enough wealth, and then we'll pursue just and compassionate ends. We cannot imagine another way than the way it has always been. Why else would more guns be proposed as a solution to gun violence? Why else would the world spend $1.6 trillion on military spending in a single year? And why else would our own country spend more than the next seven greatest military powers in the world combined? To even imagine what that money could be used for instead is unbelievable. It should be unconscionable, and yet that's exactly how it is. 
It seems we cannot imagine that an approach that is truly rooted in peace could actually produce the kind of world we want to live in. And so we continue to delude ourselves and the cycle of violence, power, and domination continues on, uninterrupted. There has to be another way, doesn't there? If Jesus refuses to play the game, what's his game? Well, he shows us and reminds us that God's way is the way of love and inclusion, compassion and justice. He shares meals with outcasts. He heals the sick. He feeds the poor. He loves those considered unlovable. And when he sees power being abused, he's not afraid to call it out. John Pavlovitz put it this way. It's almost impossible to complain to... Let me start over. It's almost impossible to claim devotion to the Jesus of the scriptures while refusing refugees, expelling immigrants, vilifying brown people, worshiping political power, and I would add guns, guarding borders and neglecting the poor. As long as you continue to conflate God and America, you're going to be whitewashing the good news, shrinking God into your own image, and bastardizing the message of Jesus in ways that can only be described as fully and violently heretical. If your God is America, we need a bigger God. So Jesus lives in this amazing and compassionate way. But notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't fight. He doesn't seek power. He doesn't accumulate wealth. He simply embodies love and justice and inclusion, and he does it in a peaceful, nonviolent manner. Soon after his entry into Jerusalem, Jesus is going to storm into the temple. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And these two demonstrations, the entry into Jerusalem and then his activities in the temple, will catch the eye of the political leadership. And soon after, we know in this holy week, Jesus is going to be arrested. And when he's arrested, Peter, what does he do? He pulls out his sword. This is the time, Lord, right now. It's got to be now, right now. We're going to take it into our own hands. Now is the time. And Jesus says, put away your sword. All who live by the sword will die by the sword. Don't you think I could call down legions of angels and kick some rear end if that's what I wanted to do? <laughs> Instead, he says, my kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. If it were, my servants would fight. Jesus knows that the only way to true peace is peace itself. You cannot get to peace through violence. You cannot get to peace through sheer power. You cannot even buy peace. And our text today says the disciples weren't sure quite what Jesus was doing. They didn't get it. And I'm not sure we get it either, based on how we've treated folks like Martin Luther King Jr., the Reverend George Lee, the Selma Marchers, Lamar Smith, Medgar Evers, and we could go on and on and on.
They wanted an overthrow of Rome. They wanted to fight power with power. They wanted change. We want change. But Jesus walked a different road. Yes, we love an underdog. We love an underdog. But the gospel asks us to go further than that and to love everyone, even those we imagine as our enemies. And on the cross, Jesus did exactly that. And he asks you and I to do the same. Amen. And namaste. to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Holland Area Arts Council in downtown Holland. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.